Well, good morning, Mercy House. Good morning, everyone who's watching, but a special shout out to uh, Mercy Housers this morning. Uh, my name is Tommy Moore. I'm normally behind the camera, making sure that JD and Robert look extra pretty on Sunday morning. Um, so this week, if things do break, uh, this is the one week you can't blame it on me because I'm, I'm right in front of you. So I'm not the cause of it. I don't think I can still trip over stuff here. But um, so if this is your first time joining us for the live stream or if you've been following along, I just want to give us a quick overview of how it works and then we'll jump right in. Um, this is a live stream so we want to thank you for your patience as we're figuring this all out. This obviously isn't ideal but we just want to use this and optimize this time to provide some solid biblical teaching, an opportunity for you to worship uh, and, and to pray but also to engage with other people. So uh, use the comments section, say hello to other people, also ask questions. Uh, we'll take a time after the teaching time to address as many of the questions as we can. And if you're not watching this live, send in the questions anyway, uh, and we've been pretty good about addressing those questions throughout the week uh, afterwards. So ask questions. If you have them, this is, this is your chance to do that. We don't even do that live uh, when we're in person. So this is like a special quarantine perk is that you get to uh, ask questions after the sermon. Um, <clears throat> so last week, Robert unpacked Luke chapter 9 for us, and really the one-sentence recap uh, of what's going on there is that Jesus is uh, correctly identified by the disciples as the Christ, as the promised Messiah and Savior, and he, he lays out what it means to follow him. So in this moment, you have Peter confessing that Jesus is the Christ, who has the authority as, uh, and power as God, um, and who has come as the promised remedy to the, pro uh, promised remedy to the problem of sin and death. Um, and Jesus affirms this, right? He affirms it, and he, he basically lays out the implication of such a significant reality. He says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, this is probably one of the least comfortable verses uh, in Scripture. It's not like the one that you would embroider on a pillow and then cry into after a long, hard day, necessarily, right? Um, it, it's not one that you would necessarily tell someone who's really struggling. Um, but whether it's pleasant or it's not, Jesus couldn't be more clear. Uh, the process of conversion includes a confession of who Jesus is um, and then a complete whole life submission to him on a daily basis. And so Robert pointed out that the vivid imagery of death and, and, and crucifixion here is not primarily to communicate how hard it is to follow Jesus, but really is to communicate how fully we're called to follow Jesus, to completely surrender as though completely dead in submission to Jesus. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. Not with a portion of us, but with all of our being. And so this morning, um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. And, and Jesus sends his disciples on a, on a field trip, right? And they're, they're going out into the, the field to get some real life experience of what it means to follow him. So starting in verse 1, if you have your Bibles, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into each town and place where he himself was about to go. So we'll stop right there. He, here's what we see right off the bat. Um, those who confess Jesus as the Christ and submit wholly to him, day in and day out, are then sent on a mission 
to make disciples. That's what happens almost immediately after their confession. And we'll drill down into what this looks like practically as, as kind of the meat of the teaching time this morning. But here are a couple really, what I think are awesome observations that we can make right off the bat from this one verse. Uh, one, uh, God's plan to deliver the incredibly good news of the gospel uh, is through disciples who have been delivered the good news of the gospel. I mean, think about it for a minute. Uh, Jesus could have packed a huge stadium, right? He could have done an epic, like, God-level light show, right? And had this uh, incredible display of power and, and just converted everybody in a single moment to himself. But he, he doesn't. And it's not because he doesn't have the power to do something like that. It's because the way that God has ordained the building of his kingdom is through the, the hand delivery of the gospel one person at a time by someone who's already been transformed by it. That's pretty wild. Like, think about that for a second. It, it, it's one, incredibly inefficient, right? It's inefficient to kind of go one by one or two by two needing to interact with every single person to deliver this message. It would also seem seeming, it would seem reckless that God would entrust such an eternal message to the likes of you and me to deliver to people. Um, but he does. And that's incredible. The other thing I think we see here is that making disciples is not for the spiritual elite. Uh, remember that you have the 12 core disciples, but you also have this contingent of people, a crowd, who's following Jesus around during his ministry. And that's where these 72 are plucked out of. There are people who are just listening in. They're investigating Jesus. I think the equivalent today would be people uh, who are just exploring the Bible. They're, they're listening to podcasts, or maybe it's you. You're tuning into this live stream right now because you saw it as someone shared it on your newsfeed, and you're like, what is this? I, I'm curious. And you're listening on. It's a public crowd who's investigating Jesus and really just seeking answers to truth, or seeking answers and truth. And among that crowd are, are people who, who hear the gospel, right? They respond to it by confessing that Jesus is God, and then they answer his call to follow him. That's who the 72 are. And this should be super humbling and also super encouraging. It, it should be super humbling for those who might feel like they're part of like this elite 12 pack, right? And think about how this would have been humbling for the apostles. They're like, wait, Jesus, didn't we have something like really unique and special going on? Like just us and like it's us against the world. And Jesus' answer is kind of like, yes, we do have something really special. Um, but I also have something really special for those who are going to confess my name, confess me as their God. And, and I'm going to invite them into it as well. See, this is a theme of, of humbling that we see uh, specifically in chapter 9 as the disciples are kind of edging each other out saying, who's the best? Who, am I the greatest? Who's the greatest? Just tell us, who is the best of the disciples? And Jesus takes that little boy in and he says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Right? So it's this idea that there is no, uh, there is no hierarchy. And that's encouraging. Um, so it, it, it's, it, this is how the spiritual hierarchy in a church works. If you're wondering, you're like, how, how does church uh, value its people? The value system is not Jesus up here. Make sure I'm in the frame. Jesus up here. Um, and then you've got like some elders. You've got some staff. You've got some deacons. You've got AV team and then everybody else, right? That's not how you value people uh, in the church. Uh, the, the way that it actually works is that we've got Jesus 
and then everyone else who confesses Jesus as the Christ. You see this in Galatians chapter 3. Paul talks about it in verse 26. He says, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The 72, although we don't know them by name, they were called by name into Jesus' inner circle. That's true for me. I was called into this inner circle. That's true for V, for Megan, for JD, for Robert, for people listening at home, for Kirill and Virginia Zinchenko, my wife Caitlin, uh, the Maychecks, the Blounts, Linda Mayhew, uh, the, the Sarkeesians, the Mansfields, Jimmy and Tolu, uh, Prax, anyone who confesses Christ is invited into Jesus' inner circle. There's no hierarchy other than Jesus as king and then all of us who are in Christ Jesus. So the question is, is what do you do then now that you're in this inner circle? Well, you invite other people into this inner circle. Luke 10 uh, verses 1 through 24 really is a, a guidebook for how this works. It's a, it's a playbook that describes how we as Christ followers reach other people with the gospel. The word for that is evangelism, uh, but I know that that can kind of scare some people away, but here are five points that I see in this passage for reaching people with the gospel message. Number one, we reach others by praying and going. By praying and going. Look at verses two through three here. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his, his harvest. Go your way. I think this is further confirmation that the process by which uh, God is choosing to operate is through people. So essentially, Jesus is saying, we've got a whole lot of work to do. Uh, pray that more workers would join the inner circle and do it. He's not saying there's a whole lot of work. I got to get to work. He's saying, no, we got a whole lot of work. We need more people to take on this work. I'd say that as a staff, um, one of our most consistent prayers is this. It is, is the prayer for more laborers in the harvest. And I don't just mean more staff. Um, when we pray this, we mean that we want to see more people who have been transformed by the gospel, uh, who are actively following Jesus, and who are obediently laboring to make disciples of Jesus. And we pray this not because we're tired and we're weary and we're, we want more people to just help us out. Ministry is an incredible joy. It, it's a dream job. Everyone in the room is nodding their heads. Yes, it is a dream job. Um, we pray for more laborers because there is just so much fruit to pick. Like, that's why we pray for it. There's so much harvest to bring in. God is doing so much in the lives of so many people in our community that it's practically and logistically impossible for us to be able to reap all of that harvest. I mean, each fall, and this is sad to think about, if, if this fall doesn't come back with students, it's, it's really sad to think about, but prior to this upcoming fall, previous falls um, are... Every single fall, we, we get literally like hundreds of truth-seeking, mostly non-Christian young adults walking, literally walking through our doors and just exploring Christianity. 
in Amherst, Massachusetts. Like, this is not a common phenomenon. And, and to be completely honest, as, as we think about that, uh, and as we gear up for the fall each year, our staff of 10 mostly part-time, uh, part-timers literally can't follow up with all the things that God is doing in all those people's lives. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And that's why we pray. We pray that more people would just taste the sweetness of being on mission for Jesus. And so if you're laboring in the fields for Jesus where you are, um, that's awesome. I, I want to encourage you to keep laboring, keep going, and also start praying that, that God would send more laborers into the mission. And if you're feeling like you might be kind of sitting on the sideline uh, watching everything as it happens, um, know that if you confess Jesus as Christ and if you follow him on a daily basis, this is something that you are called to do. We want to encourage you to do that and we just want you to know that we're praying for you, specifically Mercy Housers, um, that you would join this glorious labor of disciple making. Okay, so that's one way you reach people with the gospel, by praying and going. Number two, we reach others with the gospel with with meekness and reliance on God. With meekness and reliance on God. Look at verse 3 and 4 there. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. I think as you read this, there are two ways that you can interpret this. At least for me, there are two ways that I can interpret this. Either Jesus is sending his disciples out with no supplies, so no cash, no, no, no backpack, no shoes, um, in order to leave them out to dry and kind of like sadistically torture them. So that's one way to interpret this. Or uh, this is an exercise to communicate the necessity of relying on him and his ability to protect and provide for them as they're on the mission. It's one of those two. I'm 100% sure it's the latter one. Uh, it's an exercise to communicate the necessity of relying on him and his ability to protect and provide for them as they go. Now, this is a descriptive passage. It's not prescriptive. So what I mean by that, it's describing what Jesus um, had his disciples to do uh, had his disciples do to communicate that the only thing they need, the, the one thing that they need is, is not things, really. Um, it, it really is, as they're participating in the mission of reaching others, the one thing they need is God. That's it. That's all you need. It's super minimalist. Um, it's not saying that when you go and preach the gospel, you need to leave your wallet at home uh, and you need to take your shoes off and go barefoot to preach the gospel. That's not what this is getting at. Unless you're on a beach, then you can take off your shoes. But that's like the one instance where this would be applicable as a prescriptive passage. Um, this passage is saying that God has your back. He's got your back. He's the one empowering you. He's the one protecting you. He's the one providing for you. And yes, it, it, it is like you are a lamb being sent in the midst of wolves. But know that the great shepherd is with you as you do that. We reach others with the gospel through meekness and reliance on God. Number three, we reach others with the gospel by preaching the gospel by preaching the gospel. Luke 10 verse 9, heal the sick in it, uh, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near 
to you. So notice how Jesus is not just sending the 72 out to be uh, friendly and to heal people. The, the message of the gospel is not like this warm, fuzzy feeling that gets bestowed on people as you spend time with them. It is a logical series of truths that, that need to be communicated, to be received, to be understood, in order then to be believed. And we see this in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's an element of theology there. There's an element of right doctrine, a communication, and a teaching of truth beyond just a feeling or, 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 or any single simple truth. And does the mission include caring for people and serving people and, and meeting their physical and emotional needs? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if, if this is where our reaching out with the gospel stops and there is no verbal articulation of the gospel, that's not reaching people with the gospel. It could be a really nice, a really generous way to spend our time, our energy, and our resources. But if we're not able to meet their deepest soul need, which has eternal ramifications, then what are we doing? That, that's a question we need to wrestle with as we are trying to reach people with the gospel. Now I say series of truths uh, because the singular truth, if you were to say, like, Jesus died for you, it means really nothing in isolation to someone who has no context for that type of statement. They'd be asking, well, Jesus died, what is death? Uh, why does someone need to die for me? What's so special about this Jesus guy doing it for me? And so in a larger context, we need to communicate that we were created in God's image to experience perfect fellowship with God. Uh, we committed cosmic treason against God by sinning, and the just punishment for that is death. But Jesus, who is God, becomes a man, lives a perfect, righteous life, and dies the death that we deserve in order to restore our relationship and our perfect fellowship back with God. Like, that is the wholeness of the gospel message. And there are parts of that that are really awesome and sweet and, and almost easy to communicate. There are parts of that that are harder to hear, thereby making it harder to communicate. But we can't shy away, mercy, mercy has, we can't shy away from communicating the fullness of the gospel. We reach others with the gospel by boldly preaching the gospel. Number four, and this is, I think this is really important. As we reach others with the gospel, we must rejoice. We must rejoice. Luke 10, verses 17, 17 through 20 the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So we are not sent on mission in order to be inside Jesus's inner circle. We're not working off a debt to Jesus for him having saved us. 
The, the gospel is a gracious gift, unmerited, unearned. And so the 72 return from this field trip, and they are super jazzed up. They're super pumped. They're, they're on this, this spiritual high after seeing how God was their great shepherd. They experienced it to the, to the max. And, 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 and they felt what it was like to be lambs in the midst of wolves, but also in that process being taken care of, being provided for, being protected. They also saw God do incredible, amazing things that people had never seen before. And so they're coming back, and they're rightfully pretty jazzed up about that. But Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. That is awesome, but don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, rejoice that the gospel has been revealed to you and that you have been redeemed by God. That should be your source of rejoicing. Mercy House, we have to make sure that we rejoice in Jesus' salvation of us. We have to make sure that we're rejoicing in our own salvation. And here's why. Uh, one, it roots us in what is the source of our greatest joy, which is our reconciliation back to God. Okay? Um, not in circumstances around us that might change. Like, there are things that can happen, and you can have a great day. Yesterday, I had a fantastic day. I went out. We were outside. We went for a walk. We went to the quab, and it was one of those days where I didn't need a watch. Like, there was no frame of reference for time. And then later that night, I tried to cut my hair, and the good day went horrible. Like, it does, you can't see it on the camera because it's only 720, so the resolution is pretty low, but it's rough. Like, people in the room are laughing right now, right? Um, don't cut your hair at home. Just, just grow it out and wait until this is all over. But <laughs> the day went from good to worse. Now, I, I would say that I had a, a good level of happiness throughout the day, and it just went down and down and down. Because, listen, my joy in that moment was, was not in something that, that was solid rock, right? It was in my circumstances. And it was a great day. I'm not saying I shouldn't have had joy in the gifts that God was giving me. Uh, but the greatest joy that can't be shaken is the reality that my life has been redeemed by God. Like, that is the greatest joy that I have. So in any given day, like, I can think about different joys that I've had. Like, the day that I got married, the day that Chloe was born, the, the, the day that, that Davey was born, the day that my mom, who I'm hoping is watching this live stream from home, the day that my mom adopted me and gave me a home. Like, that's a really joyful day, right? Any of these days are, are sources of joy, but nothing in this life, no day, no moment, no perspective moment in the future, short of Jesus coming back, um, is, is going to bring me as much joy as the reality that I am made alive in Christ and restored back into right relationship with the God of the universe. That is joy. When that joy is, is the source of our joy, um, as believers, that's when we become an overflowing fountain. That's when mission happens. That's when loving people selflessly happens. Not through gritting our teeth and white-knuckling through that, but as an overflow. Wow, what, what an incredible thing God has done for me. Two, we rejoice in our salvation because it keeps our outreach and evangelism um, as a product and fruit of our salvation, not the other way around. So we don't engage in evangelism in order to be saved or to maintain our salvation. Uh, we are saved. We are rescued. Therefore, like I just mentioned, this is an overflow of that. And, and three, this is a big one for me. Um, we rejoice in our own salvation uh, because it reminds us when we reflect 
on, on our own salvation, that, that salvation is possible. That salvation is possible. If you haven't already, you will face harsh opposition. Wolves who will oppress you, who will belittle you. People who are just hard-hearted or thick-headed uh, or some combination of the two are going to discourage you. But when we reflect on, on how God has permeated our thick heads, how he has softened our hard hearts, it should be an encouraging reminder that God can save. He can do it. Um, he's done it in us. He can do it in others. He's transformed us. He can do it in others. He's, he can do the miraculous work of salvation. That's the reality and the truth that, that comes to light when we meditate on our own salvation. And so really to conclude, to, to, to wrap this all back together, uh, it, it starts with us hearing the gospel. We respond in confession um, that Jesus is the Christ we make this decision to lay down our lives and to follow him, and then we go on mission for Jesus. That's kind of the, the flow of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Mercy House, this is why we as a church are so passionate about discipleship. We spent a lot of time over the past 18 months or so restructuring a lot of different things to focus on equipping you um, and encouraging every single person in our church um, to, to, to be making disciples for Jesus. And we do it because it's what Jesus commands us to do. It's, it's what it looks like. It's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to live in multiplication, a community of multiplication. And honestly, man, this is what I'll finish with. It's where the fun is, right? If you're following Jesus and you're making disciples and you're experiencing what it's like to be a lamb in the midst of wolves with a great shepherd who's got your back, like that is the joy and the fellowship of, of following Jesus in this world. And so that's what we want to invite you to. Um, quick recap of the four points here. So one, we reach others with the gospel by praying and going. Two, we reach others with the gospel with meekness uh, and reliance on God. Um, three, we reach others with the gospel by actually preaching the gospel. And four, uh, as we reach people with the gospel, we must rejoice. That's all I got. It's weird to end it and then move into questions, but I want to move into a few questions. So uh, right now, if you have questions, make sure that you're dropping them in the comments section and they're going to transpose them over into the slideshow. If we can't get to them on time, we'll address these throughout the week. I, I have a few questions of mine that um, I'm just going to get the ball rolling with. And so question number one, in case you haven't noticed, we're in quarantine. How do we reach others with the gospel? Man, I'm snarky, aren't I? Man. That's a great question. Um, I think now more than ever, you might have this excuse of, well, I don't see a lot of people in person. I'm actually forbidden to do so, so maybe evangelism is on pause. I don't think that could be further from the truth. I don't think that um, there are moments that exclude you from the great commandment. Um, and to be honest with you, I think that right now, uh, and Robert was mentioning this, more than ever, like, people are very sensitive and soft uh, to some of the major questions in life. It's, it's causing a lot of different existential crises in people, um, and, and people are kind of knocked out of their regular routine, knocked out of their regular worldview, or just knocked out of a place of being constantly distracted from having to think about these things. And they're willing to, they're needing to engage with some of these really important questions like, 
what is a foundation that I can rest on? If it's not the, the global economy, if it's not things that are happening, if it's not looking to leaders to make the right decision right now, like no one knows what to do. Like they're figuring it out. We're praying for them, but there's a lot of uncertainty. And so you're seeing, and I'm seeing at least, and I know this is true for the staff and other people I'm interacting with, is this is bringing people to a really challenging place. And so the conversations, I think, get initiated a lot more organically and a lot more common. Um, so if, if you're quarantined, like take advantage of video calls if you haven't already. Um, call people, engage with them, and I don't think it's necessarily to just call them and say, hey, have you heard the gospel today? Uh, but I think if you're calling and genuinely checking in on the emotional uh, and spiritual welfare of your friends and family and just asking, hey, how's it going, right? Like now more than ever, it's appropriate to ask those deeper questions and be like, are you okay? Like, this is hard for everybody. Everyone's in the same boat. How are you dealing with it? And just listen to them. Just listen to them. And then if they give you a chance to respond and they're asking, how are you able to just keep your wits about you? That's a great opportunity to share the gospel. So that's just one, um, one suggestion. Number two, I'm discouraged, afraid, not super excited to be evangelizing people. Uh, what should I do? You're not alone. I think when uh, that word evangelism invokes a lot of emotion in, in, in Christians and people who follow Jesus, um, maybe you've had opportunities where you've tried to share the gospel and you just got shut down, you had a bad experience of it, or maybe you've just been so nervous to, to, to actually try it. Um, <clears throat> I'd say that there are three things that I would encourage you to do. One is to pray. Um, so prayer helps you align yourself with the reality that it is not just you going in there, uh, but like I mentioned, uh, you have the great shepherd empowering you, giving you words, protecting you, providing everything you need for those conversations. So praying, praying for people uh, to be put in your life to talk to. So be like, God, who are the people that you'd like me to share the gospel with and place them in my life and, and, and make it very clear. I think God answers that, uh, that prayer. He's done it in my life a lot. Um, accountability helps. So if you're trying to grow in evangelism, uh, talk to your brothers and sisters and say, hey, I'm trying to grow in evangelism, uh, in sharing the gospel. Here are a couple people that I'm praying about sharing with. Can you hold me accountable? Just ask me how it goes. All right, I'm going to talk to them tomorrow. I'm going to shoot them a message or something like that. And then you have uh, the, 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 the fellowship of brothers and sisters who are not only holding you accountable and saying, hey, did you reach out to Bob? Uh, but also praying for you as you're doing that and encouraging you and, and helping you kind of debrief some of those conversations afterwards. And, and then third is, is to rejoice. Again, this is like the same application to the point that I made earlier, is that when you're able to rejoice in your own salvation, it shows you that salvation is possible, it's encouraging, um, but it also gets you so excited about the joy that you have in your salvation that you should want to invite others to experience that same joy as well. Um, three, I've been trying to share the gospel with my friend, neighbor, coworker, family member, but they just don't want to hear it. What should I do? Um, I, I think that this is a, a, there's a longer answer to this and we might not have time to do it right now, but in this passage, you do see Jesus talking about uh, seeking people of peace. Um, and when peace falls on you, he says, stay there and, and preach the gospel to them. And if people say, no, I don't want to hear it, he says, he tells them to move on. Um, so that, this requires a little more pastoral shepherding to get through. It's not as easy as, you know, if people are 
hard to you or hard to reach, then just ignore them. But I think there is a level of wisdom in discernment in, in if someone is just not wanting to hear it, you can pray for them, you can be persistent, but at some point, uh, there are other people who are warm to the gospel, who, who will greet you with peace, and who will respond favorably to the gospel message, and that's where you want to spend your time and in, in your energy. So if God's placed someone on your heart and you're like, no, I'm going to I'm gonna labor with them for years, like however long it takes, like that's awesome. So if God's put that person in your life and you want to just continue to labor and be in their life, I'm not saying just ignore them and walk out. But if it is like your coworker and every time you bring up the gospel and he's just like harshly shutting it down, well, I mean, he doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear it. So move on to someone who would want to hear it. Next question. That's it? No, that's not it. Oh, sorry. I'm having a hard time engaging challenging topics like the problem of evil, authenticity of scripture, homosexuality, etc. and feel overwhelmed and afraid to share my faith. What should I do? This is a great question. We're tackling a lot of this right now at Mercy House. So if you've been a part of our live stream uh, or our Zoom calls on Wednesday night Bible studies, uh, we've been talking a lot about this. Um, uh, we also have Mercy House University, which is a great resource uh, for you to just be around other believers who have wrestled with these same concepts and who've done a lot more reading maybe than you have and, 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 and have been a part of the conversation and wrestled with it. And you get to experience the fruit of all of that toil uh, in, the, in their lives. So same things I'd say for if you're struggling with evangelism, period, or if you're struggling with engaging these tougher topics, is to pray about it, uh, to seek accountability in your brothers and sisters. And you'll find that in that accountability, you might find people who have actually wrestled through some of these issues and can speak into them very profoundly. Um, read scripture. Like, if you're not... If you're not immersed in the Word and seeing how the Word addresses some of these, then you have no basis to stand on top of. So make sure you're reading Scripture. And then resources, like I mentioned. Use the Mercy House University podcast. Uh, find some resources online. Message us if there's something specific. Um, between Robert and Amazon, Like you'll have all the resources you need to tackle any topic. Um, but really, uh, reach out to us. And again, there Question, are other people. Questioning evangelism. Exactly. And the last, the, the, the resource that we've been going through as a church is called Questioning Evangelism, which every chapter is literally um, anxiety producing by its title because it is a serious question about why someone would want to follow Jesus. And so that author does a great job at creating conversations um, around these really difficult topics. So Questioning Evangelism, um, and, and again, join the conversation, join community, and do this with others, not on your own. I think that should be it. Oh, there's one. Is evangelism really for everyone and not just those in professional ministry? Um, yes. <laughs> I really hope so. Um, I mean, so you see this in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. Um, this is Jesus saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is, that is communicated very clearly by Jesus to go and make disciples. I think one could say, well, the only people there for that were the 11 apostles. Um, but you'd also see that there are plenty of people in the rest of Scripture, especially in the book of Acts, who live out this command as if it was also directed to them. Um, you also see it really clearly here in this passage. 
Um, it's not just the 12 going, it's the 72. So again, these are people that are in the crowd who are responding to the gospel, who are hearing the follow me, and then Jesus says, okay, go and make disciples. So uh, last thing I'll say about this is there are varying degrees of effectiveness in evangelism. I think that's really clear. You see this uh, most notably with Timothy uh, uh, chapter 4 verse 5 where he's being exhorted to do the work of an evangelist which has the implication that he himself is not an evangelist like he's doing something he's not naturally gifted at um, to, to do and the, the commentator that I one of the commentators I read as I was preparing for this was uh, Tabidi Anyabuible uh, I butchered his name. I'm sorry if you're listening to this. Uh, I'm sorry I butchered your last name. But he says, we cannot be faithful Christians without at least being stumbling evangelists. I don't know if I can sum it up any better than that. So, all right. Any more? Nope, that's it for questions. Uh, well, um, that's it. If you have more questions or if more questions come up throughout the week, then make sure you send us a message. And then, uh, and also join us on Wednesday nights as well. That's a great place to engage with others, and we'll be digging into these passages even more. So I'm going to hand it over to Robert, who's going to lead us in some prayer.